0: what's going on trail runners i hope you are all well i hope your week's going good hope your training's going well this week welcome to another episode of the coop cast i am really excited about this episode i had a lot of fun with it i was recently in uh, san francisco california and decided to stop by Uh, And go see my good friend, Karim Malcolm, Uh, check her new place out. And more importantly, talk to her a little bit about something that is extremely misunderstood in coaching and by athletes. Uh, And that's this concept of overtraining or overtraining syndrome. And uh, the, the conversation that we had was actually is both hilarious and illuminating. At the same time, we came up with this bizarre uh, train stop analogy that I actually think a lot of people are going to, uh, going, going to actually resonate with. And I'm going to use it in an article or in some other interview in the future, I am sure of. But we got together and we wanted to really dissect uh, this topic because I, I feel that it's just really confusing. And it's mainly confusing because I don't think we use the right term. Terminology. We use this terminology, overtraining, to describe what happens to athletes uh, when they have reached a level at which they just can't perform anymore and their performances might actually go down. And all too often, the, the things that are causal in that whole equation... Is not the training itself. A lot of times, they're just under recovered or overstressed in other areas. Yet we use this blanket term "overtraining" to connotate the fact that they're just training too much. And I think a lot of times we uh, we actually miss the mark on that one. In fact, um, whenever I reach out to a lot of the uh, kind of high performance experts uh, in the United States and around the world they can only point to of they can only point to very few examples of elite athletes that they work with every year that are truly overtrained, meaning they are doing too much training and it is causing a negative impact on their health and kind of the outcomes of their performance. Yet we continue to call this thing overtraining or overtraining syndrome for whatever reason. And so Corinne and I, we um, we kicked that topic around. I think this uh, conversation will be really enlightening. It's also pretty fun, pretty fun to listen to, as you guys can tell. Um, uh, uh, Corinne and I, uh, we uh, we have a great working relationship. She's one of our CTS coaches and somebody that I have a tremendous amount of respect for her in the work that she does with her athletes and also just the knowledge game that she brings to the table. Super smart. Had a fun time with this conversation. Uh, in an effort of full disclosure, there is some cussing. There's some four-letter words in this. So if you've got kids in the car or if your ears just can't take the one-off four-letter word... You have been forewarned. It's really not that bad, you guys. Anyway, without further ado, here is my conversation with CTS Coach Corinne Malcolm. She already starts right on cue. Corinne, I'm gonna I'm going to uh, set up an athlete scenario for you, and I'm gonna want you to tell me based on the information that I give you, and in your professional opinion. Is this athlete overtrained? Okay. Okay. So the athlete is not sleeping enough. They're waking up in the middle of the night with sweats. They cannot complete their workouts, particularly the hard workouts. They're consistently in a grumpy mood. Their normal training heart rate is high. And the heart rate that they can achieve when they're trying to do a hard workout is depressed they don't want to eat and they feel like they're always getting sick is that athlete overtrained
1: probably probably (laughs) more than likely you're covering a lot of bases there mood disturbances um physiological kind of fallout with heart rate stuff is a really good indicator of the nervous system functioning properly or not. It's kind of a, mal, a maladaption to exercise. Um, inadequate sleep or sleep that's becoming interrupted more frequently is huge. Um, so all things considered, yes. You'd want to talk to that athlete about like how long it's been going on for um, and rule out any other potential medical conditions that could imitate overtraining.
0: So here, here's the confounding piece of that that we can start to have a dialogue around. Oh, no. What within that tells you that they are training too much, i.e., overtraining.
1: Well, that's the thing. Like over that is the thing. Overtraining is is an endpoint, right? They're not even completing their workouts at this point. Correct. And the indi- like the one of the biggest things that when we look for fatigue would be heart rate. Mm-hmm. disturbances. But that being said, you're not actively overtraining, right? You're you get to be overtrained.
0: So you you would say that they have overtrained. And based on them doing too much training, the scenario that I descri- that I described tells you that they've done too much training.
1: I would say that they are likely beyond what we would call non-functional overreach and in a state of being overtrained.
0: Overtrained. In the colloquial sense or in the technical scientific sense?
1: In the technical scientific sense, they have reached a state of being overtrained. You don't have to physically do too much training to be overtrained. But given their symptoms, as long as all other medical conditions can be ruled out, anemia, hypothyroidism, um, like medically low cortisol, things that would be caused by something else that is like acting as overtraining, as long as all those things are ruled out, including like anemia, then yeah, you could probably say that this athlete is overtrained, particularly if they don't respond to just a short period of rest.
0: Yeah, so but he, here's what I'm trying to set up here is that there's a difference between overtraining syndrome and being overtrained. Overtrained means the training is too much. Overtraining syndrome describes the constellation of variables that ultimately manifest themselves in the athlete description that I was just talking about.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would would agree with that. I would say that that's kind of where I think as a community, we're trying to differentiate terminology. Right. Right? Like, I would prefer to say that that athlete was non-functionally overreached versus some, like, saying, like, overtrained or under-recovered would be, like, maybe a more appropriate like title for it.
0: What would, if you could like wave your little Karen magic wand and like give it the terminology that you think is correct, what would you, what I think would you, you call I it? I
1: think you can actively, I think you can actively under recover, but 100%. I think that overtraining syndrome, like there shouldn't be another phrase that is similar. Like overtraining syndrome is the end point and this person is in the end point. They, they have reached their final destination on their training journey and they are now <laughs> Like in full OTS. Why,
0: yeah. Why can't we just say they're fucked?
1: I mean, I would prefer that
0: because <laughs> that would be a whole lot more. Because the so when when this initially came out, right when we started call when we started saying okay, athletes are overtraining, right? I remember sitting down with a lot of coaches, and we were all consistently confused because the training component of it is not what was necessarily over. There was a lot of it. There was a lot of training you know, sometimes 20, 25, 30 hours a week for a runner or even a multi-sport type of athlete. But that wasn't the sole thing that was causing the, either the, the scenario that I kind of set this whole thing up with or anything else that kind of emanates from that, right? They can't do their workouts. They're underperforming. They experience, you know, two to three chronic underperformance. They they spend, you know, two to three weeks just in the whole recovering, the training wasn't necessarily the sole component of that. And so as coaches, what was happening is we were looking at that going, okay, well, if it's over training and we remove the training, there's there therefore is no overtraining. So the athlete should therefore magically be better. And that wasn't necessarily the case. And so my 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 contention with that is that when we when we colloquial colloquially say that athletes are overtrained, it's not a very good description in many cases of the situation at hand, because training isn't the only thing that's causing all of these negative outcomes.
1: Yeah, I think people misuse it as being like an active tense. I think we've gotten to a place as a community where we've been able to separate the two things, and be, because I've. Personally, I think it's really hard to overtrain, but I think it's, it's really- It's almost impossible. Yeah, it's, I mean, I've, I'm a person who's, I, I've trained 30 plus hours a week before, and you can do that and be and be fine and be healthy. The issue with athletes there is that they are generally under-recovering. Mm-hmm. There's inadequate recovery in order for them to compensate from the training load. Plus maybe they've got a stressful job or they've got a stressful relationship or there is some other factor that is adding stress that is not physical stress, but your body doesn't know the difference between physical stress, emotional stress, mental stress. And so I think what needs to change as far as us having a conversation about OTS and like the overarching you know, way we look at it is kind of navigating those terms in a way where everyone's like in agreement.
0: Yeah, the term that, that is coming up uh, more often now is non-functional overreaching. So they're not, even, they're not even getting into the training component at all, right? Yeah. And I think that that's actually really enlightening on, from the way that the vocabulary has evolved from when we initially started describing this to where it is now, where there's a much better recognition of just what you mentioned, all of the other constellations of variables that exist so that this non-functional overreaching state, right, Athletes cooked and they're not getting any better from the training that they have done, which that's what that's what non-functional overreaching is describing. There's all these other things that are at play that training is just one component of all of those.
1: Yep. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think that it helps to look at it as a spectrum. Right. Absolutely. There's there's healthy there's a healthy a healthy training load. And then we have to recover from that training load. And generally that's considered like functional overreach. We want we want to overreach. Correct. And then we bring you back, right? We we step up to that imaginary line between like too little and too much. And then we bring you back. And then you step to the line or maybe over it, and then you get brought back. A, a training camp, a peak, a peak volume week, all these things would be like a functional overreach as long as it's paired with adequate recovery. If you add additional outside stress for a long period of time or continuing to have that physical stress without adequate recovery, then you step like further down the spectrum into non-functional overreaching. And if you stay there for a very long time without without rest, without complete rest to kind of reset the system, then we can get to that like, we're gonna call it the, like, the final stop that the train goes to, end of the line. Choo-choo. Yeah. OTS, like overtraining syndrome is like the end point. I think that it's okay that that term still exists as long as it functions within that spectrum where we kind of have like the the healthy functional overreach, the like, oh no, we've made some errors, but we can still correct if it addressed properly, non-functional overreach with a combination of a lot of training, not enough rest and other life shit, essentially other life shit which is important. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, if you go beyond that because you're hanging out there for way too long, then you are at this other place. And it's not... I think you can actively be non-functional overreaching, but the end of the line, end of the spectrum is not... It's not a verb anymore. Like, you're just there.
0: So let's go through the whole spectrum from...
1: There's a, lot of, there's a lot of hand gestures from, from, in this podcast that no one can see, by yeah, the way. Yeah,
0: I know. My hands are spread out way wide. <laughs> let's go through this whole spectrum from sedentary mm-hmm. to training to functional overreaching all the way down the line. And let's kind of, the first few are going to be easy to explain, but let's like just set the boundaries, right, of what this whole continuum is because that's what's really important for athletes that are trying to really makes sense out of all of this convoluted terminology that keeps switching around is A, what does it all mean? And then B, what do I do about it? So let's take the whole spectrum and explain what each stop on the on the train, since that's your analogy, <laughs> yeah. each, each stop on the train, right? Train route actually means starting from sedentary. Sedentary means you're not doing anything.
1: Yeah. In fact, it would be from an athletic standpoint, it'd be like too little stimulus (laughs) to create positive adaptation. Right.
0: That's too little. Right. And and that can actually happen. Goldilocks. Right. Right. So you have an athlete that's just, they're, they're, they're probably fitter, right. From, from a health perspective. Yeah than they were if they were just sedentary, but certainly there's not a meaningful training adaptation there.
1: Yeah, maybe. And and I think there's probably a functional time of year for that, right? Like Let's think of like off season or something else where you're not maybe making like meaningful physiological changes besides like allowing your body extra rest or something or, you know, you're brand new to running or I don't know, you've, you're mentally exhausted and you take 12 months off. I've got plenty of athletes. <laughs> 12
0: months. Yeah.
1: I've got plenty of athletes who like have come into coaching being like, I did this thing. I garnered all the points I needed to garner in order to, like, you know, qualify for UTV yeah, or whatever yeah. it is. I haven't run in 12 months. Like, they are starting off from seven. So, that would look
0: more like the I don't know if this is old or not because I haven't kept up with this recommendation uh, too closely, but the old ACSM recommendation for cardiovascular health, which is three days a week, 20 minutes of cardiovascular activity is all you need to optimize your <laughs> cardiovascular health. That would be. The exercising part of the train stop. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. let's move into training. We're What's moving the, into a
1: normal <laughs> athlete. This
0: is this is where most of the most of the listeners will identify with, right? So let's talk about just training, normal training. What are the boundaries of that?
1: That's going to be like a typical training week. Those are going to be, you know, you're doing an intensity workout, you're doing a long run if you're an ultra runner, or a marathon runner. Um, so you've got endurance, you've got some intensity, you've got a rest day, you've got recovery runs or spins or whatever, you know, your sport of choice is. And so you're pairing, right? You're pairing little bits of stimulus, but not like anything extra, like extraordinary, like nothing crazy mm-hmm. with adequate rest because you're sleeping and you're eating and you're, you know, you're functioning as a human. You're not shortcutting. There's no like magic pill, life hack, just training. Yep. And I mean,
0: af- like after difficult. that period of time, is the athlete better, or worse, the same?
1: Generally there's small improvements in a positive direction. Right, because you're causing a little bit of a little bit of adaptation. Like you're, like it's like a push. It's a stimulus, and then you recover, and then you should recover to like above baseline, and then that should like progressively move you like in a positive, not always linear, direction.
0: I like the way you put that small positive changes emphasize yes. small right from the very get go. Yeah. Okay. So that's the first part of the this train training. stop. Um, this analogy is going to flub me the rest of the time. That's the first train stop is training. The next train stop is
1: functional overreach.
0: Okay. Describe a functional overreach.
1: So a functional overreach, a great example of it would be like a training camp. You go and you're going to do more training, probably volume and/or intensity than you normally do in a week or a weekend or three day, you know, three to four days. I think they generally like a training camp situation would last anywhere up to two weeks, and that's probably more at like the elite level, um, being able to handle a functional overreach load for that long. But for most of the like m- most individuals, it's like a three day weekend where you're doing more training over it or. Um, maybe ultra runners using a back to back long run even would I think would fall into like a functional overreach because it's an atypical training stimulus,
0: so they need to have some concentrated recovery after that functional overreach period,
1: Yeah, okay. yeah, just like and like just like you need recovery after any training, you definitely need recovery um after a, about a functional overreach,
0: and then what happens after? That concentrated that concentrated recovery phase is the athlete better, worse, or the
1: same? Generally better. The okay. goal is to be better right. after you've recovered.
0: Yeah, hence the name functional. Function. Overreach.
1: You, you are you are making actual positive adaptations to training.
0: Okay, so that's the functional overreach stop on the train route. Yes, the next stop <laughs> on our overtraining <laughs> on our overtraining syndrome train train <laughs> God <laughs> is
1: would be non-functional overreach. Okay,
0: describe what a non-functional overreach looks like.
1: So non-functional overreach would be kind of probably like ramping up too too quickly. So just like loading someone with volume with no with no adequate recovery. It would be um, going to a training camp or like having an, a training weekend that's really big without the proper recovery afterwards. So it's basically, it's it could have been positive at one point in time, but because it's not paired with adequate recovery, and or you've done like a personal miscalculation, or you're adding an outside stress, and and therefore like suboptimal recovery. A normal training load can become non-functional overreach.
0: So, some component that of the overreach itself, and the over overreach is like the training that kind of sets it up. Mm-hmm. Some component of that is inhibiting the athlete from actually improving, and that can that component can be, as you mentioned external factors. They don't get the right nutrition. They don't get the right sleep. There are other external stressors affecting an athlete or they just deliberately or maybe not so deliberately don't take a proper recovery phase Mm -hmm. after that overreaching component. And so during this non-functional overreach, where we might not even have an endpoint with that,
1: right? Yeah. And that, that's kind of like the confusing part is that mm-hmm. I think that when we talk about, you know, quote unquote overtraining syndrome in athletes, a lot of people probably actually fall into this non functional overreaching category. Um, there isn't necessarily like a super defined endpoint to be non functionally overreached besides, you know, fatigue. Um, Mal, like you're maladapting to training essentially. So you're gonna start to see like funky heart rate stuff potentially, but it's, it's a performance decline, right? right? Like we're looking for a decline in performance. That can be training performance, that can be racing performance, that can be daily performance, like not yeah. wanting to get out of bed. That, that is a decline in performance as a human.
0: So during, so during this part, during this train stop, yeah during so, this train stop, at this train stop. It's
1: a long train yeah, stop. <laughs>
0: it's a long train stop. At this train stop, the athlete is either the same or more likely, worse.
1: Generally, getting worse. Generally, getting worse. Yeah, and and the confusing part for a lot of athletes is that when you're in this phase, you just you can just feel out of shape, and so instead of being like maybe I need rest, we're count ca- like we're counterintuitive right right now. Yeah, yeah. Like instead of being like maybe if I rest for a couple of days I'll get better, it's like I'm out of shape so I need to train harder. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like non-functional overreach can be kind of like this vicious cycle of not getting better and continuing to maladapt to training for various reasons and feeling out of shape and therefore just doing more.
0: Yeah, but if they're worse, why don't we just call it maladapted overreaching? I, I am not
1: the like overlord of terminology. Yeah. We let someone do this. This is where we are. My
0: wife, the English teacher would be pulling her hair out right now. Yeah. Okay, so we have non-functional overreaching where there's just too much. There's not enough rest. Other things are contributing to it. And the athlete is normally worse maybe just the same with a whole lot of training stress on on their on their system but they certainly yeah. haven't gotten better.
1: They definitely aren't getting better. Like that that's why it's called non-functional, right? You're yep. no longer functionally like I mean functionally overreaching doesn't seem like yeah, a great yeah, phrase yeah. either. You're no longer the training you are doing, be it your training stress or your life stress combined with training stress is no longer creating a functional adaptation. So you you can't get better in this place. You're gonna, that's like a, I wouldn't even define it as like a plateau though, because you can, I think that's probably just like not enough training, generally speaking. (laughs) This is a place where you're going to eventually decline. you are gonna have a decline in health, you're gonna get sick more frequently. The difference between like where non-functional overreach ends and overtraining syndrome like probably begins is just like a duration of non-functional overreach. And it's kind of arbitrary. Like how, like how long does it take to get better? How long have you been experiencing a decline in performance is like generally the factor that like pushes you one way or the other.
0: Okay. So that's the next stop in our train journey. The function, the non-functional overreach train has left the station and is on its way to its its next destination, (laughs) final destination. final destination, which is
1: overtraining syndrome.
0: And what does, when the passenger steps off the train at the overtraining syndrome station, what does it look like?
1: So, I'm starting to Syndrome, like this analogy
0: more yeah, and more. Now it's growing on you. <laughs> it's growing on Perfect. me. So what is what is what is the, what does the passenger see when they step off the train? So, at that point,
1: honestly, it's not that different from being it, like at the previous stop, right? Mm-hmm. Non-functional overreaching. You're you're fatigued. You um, are having mood disturbances potentially. You're um, we see anemia crop up here. Kind of chronic inflammation can be an issue. These aren't dissimilar from non-functional overreach. The difference is that generally speaking, you have to have a decline in performance for at least a month um, in non-functional overreach to then bump into what we call like the final destination of overtraining syndrome. And this is a phase where I think too, like this is where the athlete like goes to put their shoes on to go run and just sits there for an hour. So they're they're not completing their workouts. Mm. They can't. I don't. I think at, at this out. point they're not. You know, yeah. at this point, generally speaking, we see a real decline in um, motivation potentially, and and that can be confused with like being burnt out in a mm-hmm. way. But it's kind of it's the extreme. It's the you're not necessarily even training anymore because you're not you're not getting out the door. You're not completing your right. workouts. You're um, you're struggling with a lot of other stuff. But generally it's defined as, you know, I feel like non- non-functional overreach and overtraining syndrome technically probably have like the exact same symptom list, but it's a duration in symptoms that makes the difference. And then ultimately the best way to kind of like figure some of that out too is forced rest and how long it takes for you to come back. Kind of it also can say, oh, you were probably non-functionally overreached versus oh, you're at the, the end of the line.
0: All right, so we've got this analogy now, this train stop analogy. We're gonna, we're gonna come back to it and, and really paint the picture of how do you make sure that you get off the train at the stops that you wanna get off of, which are the training one,
1: yeah. that, which, which is totally fine. Great stop. Yeah, it's a Hang good stop. There.
0: Or the functional overreaching one, right? Mm-hmm. How do you make sure that your athletes, that athletes that are listening to this out there, get off at those two stops and don't stay on the train to the non-functional overreach or the overtraining syndrome, um, so we're we're gonna we're gonna discuss that later. But I know that you have like a personal story with this, yeah. And so, h- how about we just start out with that and tell your story with it, and what part of the train stop did analogy? I miss? Yeah, where <laughs> yeah. where did you go through, and where did you miss, and where did you end up?
1: Yeah. So I my um, like story with overtraining syndrome doesn't come from running the sport that I'm now very actively involved in. Um, I was a member of the U S biathlon team. So I skied in a circle with a, with a rifle essentially for a number of years.
0: It's such a simplistic way to put that sport. I love it.
1: I know it's great. It gets right to the point. Um, I was a member of the U S national team, a young member of the U S national team is probably an important part of that story. Didn't have a development team in place, jumped into the sport, got immediately thrown into the senior national team. My teammates are 10 years older than me. Um, so young
0: chronologically and experience wise. Yes. yeah.
1: And if I kind of look back at my training style and motivation and that kind of stuff too, I probably had coaches earlier on in my development as an athlete who did a really good job of holding me back. I was an athlete who like needed to check the boxes, needed to complete what was on the training plan for the week. And if I didn't complete it, was not necessarily a good person. Like I was not fun to be around, type of type of deal. And so I think I had coach good coaches early on who who knew that about me, and knew that if they told me to take a rest day, I was going to do it because they they told me to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had very good stick to itiveness. You know, they told me to jump, I said how how high as an athlete.
0: You'd be high on the grit scale.
1: Yeah, hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. And so. Um, falling into this, you know, kind of new environment as a young athlete on a senior level team. You know, we're trying to make the Olympics. There's world championship teams on the line. Um, That's really stressful for for sure. Yeah, right. Huge stress. Um, I kind of just got thrown into the mix. And so there was no kind of subjective or objective feedback from me as an athlete that seemed, that mattered really. Like the only goal for me was to keep up like literally the only goal I was told was was to keep up, was to like get closer to my teammates. And so I was literally chasing mm. a finish line that was continually like ski literally skiing away from me. Oh, wow. And so um that's 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 really stressful and motivationally is really hard because you're you're trying to reach a goal that keeps moving, keeps shifting. Um and I accelerated really fast because of it initially. So probably some functional overreach that was really positive Mm -hmm. initially. Like I got, I got much better very quickly, you know, and there were probably some early instances in the first year being on the national team where maybe I got sick. And so I had to like take, like I had an easier week or I went home because we kind of had a break in a training plan. And so that was an easier week. And so I, I skated by in a way um, for a long time with that. And then it, I could no longer skate by, essentially. And um, it caught up with me. And I would say that that is a point kind of where all of a sudden you're going from functionally overreaching to, you know, being really stagnant and moving into this non-functional overreach. And I think I had every single symptom that we can find out in the world wide web that is listed associated with um, like stereotypical, what now we'd consider non-functional overreach and then eventually overtraining syndrome. Which are oh, I was just rattle off. I five mean, or eight mood of them. disturbances, right? Chronically, like chronically um, depressed. Um, actually, like saw a psychologist, and because I was so paranoid about our team, like having like, we had a team psychologist, and I was so paranoid that that would reflect poorly on me, that I went to our sports med staff at Lake Placid and requested that I get a psychologist who was not associated with our team. So I was assigned someone through Colorado Springs um, Hmm. to be my sports psychologist because I felt like I was, you know, in a fishbowl. Like I was like being observed always, right? So I wanted someone else. I wanted someone who wasn't a direct link to my team to to talk to. So I was depressed. Um, I had, you know, super elevated heart rates when I was skiing easy. And at the same time, we'd go and do, um, we'd go do a hard session and I couldn't get my heart rate high enough. Um, which is really frustrating.
0: That dichotomy is like hard for athletes that don't like keep track of this stuff to really wrap their heads around.
1: Totally. And so you could describe it as like easy efforts, feeling way too hard and hard efforts, just like not you're like, so a marathon runner, like you just wouldn't be hitting your splits consistently, right? Something of that nature, like you're coming up against a wall and maybe, and maybe at some point you're pushing through that, but it's a lot more draining. I mean, I would sit. Literally, I would sit outside the training center trying to put my shoes on to go for like my shakeout run before a strength workout, and I would just sit there. Like I couldn't, that's as far as I'd make it into my run. Um, wasn't hungry, couldn't sleep well, um, had chronic upper respiratory tract infections, which is fairly common as well, kind of when you're mm-hmm. in, this, in this stage of stuff, um, because your immune system isn't working right. And it, like... Chicken or the egg, right? Like you're not like you've got depression. You're not sleeping well. Your immune system's obviously not going to function perfectly. So I'm chronically sick. Um, it, yeah, it was just kind of a funky, a funky state of being.
0: Well, I think the important thing to take from that. Well, one of the important things to take from that is that it wasn't just the acute training load that yeah, got you into that state. I mean, you, you mentioned the psychological stress of like always having to keep up with this ever moving finish line. yeah. And all of these other things that kind of go into the non-functional part of non-functional overreaching.
1: Oh yeah, like I was living in a very stressful environment. My boyfriend and I at the time broke up. Like it was just not, not a great environment to be in. I, I was very isolated. Most of my teammates were from the East Coast. So on a, on a recovery yeah. week, they could go home. I couldn't go home, yeah. and so I was very, very isolated in a small community. Um, yeah, it was a combination of more than just training load over time, essentially.
0: So you had all these different stress and fatigue arrows kind of being slung at you from every different direction. Yeah including the training one Inclu- which is including hard including
1: the training piece which
0: is which is hard at the at the level that you're trying to to train at and underneath the you know umbrella that you're trying to train with it's always hard yep. it's I, always hard
1: and i would periodically like pop a really good like result essentially where i could like it, w- it wouldn't look like i was falling off as much but the the general trend was like me falling further and further behind this like moving target mm-hmm. of keeping up with my teammates and okay. so that's kind of like the biggest the biggest indicator would be like that over time, despite training, despite whatever it might be. And I was totally the athlete, or I was like, maybe I'm just really out of shape.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, and there's, a lot, point, of, there's you, a lot of there's a lot of other are, athletes. Yeah, there's a lot of athletes. Well, you're exactly right. At, at a certain point, that is actually the case. But the out of shape in air quotes is uh, it's it's caused from
1: it's like internal. It's in, uh, so I I call when I'm trying to explain overtraining syndrome to people i describe it as a metabolic injury right like it's which is like a term that i have now made up yeah there you go but it is it's a metabolic injury you can't feel like physiologically you can't do what you're supposed to be doing because your body's job is to keep you alive and so this like has really cool overlaps into now what we're kind of you know a like, it's not overtraining syndrome. It's not. It's not on our train. It's, mm-hmm. it, it meets none of the stops. Would be like um, we call red S in sports, or relative energy deficiency in sports. Um, similar but different because it's more about inadequate nutritional intake um, paired with training load compared to this. And you can definitely there definitely are overlaps with that. I think being in a state of low energy availability. Would probably push you further, or co- well,
0: usually confounds, right? Yeah, or like, compounds the overtrainingness right? Risk. Of so everything, I, I
1: think it can. You can have one without the other, but I think that they, you probably can trip from one into the other sure. as well. For sure, um, and so I, I define it as this this metabolic injury where you can't you look you look fine from the outside, mm-hmm. um, but the, the you can't train to make it better. And so just like breaking your ankle or having a stress fracture or whatever it might be, um, you need adequate rest and, and adequate ways to deal with other stressors in your life as well in order to recover. So like same thing that you'd need, you know, if you had a, a, a stereotypical injury. Right. This just, just one like lies like just beneath the surface. Yep.
0: So here, here's the crux of it, right? How, how do you know, as a coach, in working with your athletes, kind of looking at what they're doing day to day, what train stop they're at, and what do you do when they start to get a fir- further along the tracks than you would like them to do?
1: Yeah. So the thing is that we don't have, like, a, there's no clear marker, despite what people might say. There's no clear biomarker. You can't go and get a cortisol test, and they be like, oh, overtrained.
0: Heart rate variability.
1: Yeah, there's no perfect biomarker. Yes, di- like major differences from your baseline are probably an indicator that something's wrong. Mm-hmm. But those are also indicators of like doing work. Right. Right? And so as long as that work is paired with recovery, you're fine. So when it comes to to working with athletes, like initially as a coach, super scared to be a coach, was worried I was going to hurt everyone. You bring, you bring what you know, right? Yeah, I remember in, you in saying that. Yeah, um, And so I think part of that is just because there's no clear marker of this stuff is the data is wonderful. Like watching people's workouts and understanding, you know, like how different is this from baseline? What is their heart rate doing? Um, But it's that, it's that objective feedback as well from the athlete. You know, you're getting that, if you get that chronic message, like I just, I felt tired today. I felt tired today. I felt tired today. I felt tired today. My legs were heavy. My legs were heavy. My legs were heavy. When those comments become, a consistent theme
0: not just one but not a just few one a you can be
1: tired like i have we all have bad days yeah i have days where i feel like hot garbage on the trail but as opposed okay. to cold garbage as opposed to, as opposed to cold hot garbage. garbage worse than huh, cold I garbage. i think so okay. like dumpster fire is okay. kind of where my all brain's right. going okay um so that being a periodic phase so oftentimes like so say i've got athletes who are doing a big training block mm-hmm. big big training block maybe it's like a peak week of training i'll tell them like hey you're gonna be tired this weekend. Like I know it and that's okay. And I kind of send them into the end mm-hmm. of the training block knowing, but telling them too, like, you've got recovery coming on, on the other side of this. So that would be like me trying to force them into a functional overreach and then giving them the adequate recovery on the other side. That being said, if I've got an athlete who's trending to that, like I feel my legs feel heavy, I'm tired. That also becomes a conversation of like, hey, are you sleeping okay? Like what Mm. else is going on? Because maybe their training is kind of baseline training. Like they're, they're not doing anything crazy. I'm not requesting, you know, major workouts or incredible long runs. I'm, and the feedback I'm getting is that they're tired. That becomes a conversation about like, Hey, what else is going on? To make sure that we're balancing that, that training stress versus their life stress. And I've had to bring athletes like down from that too, where like their training stress is really high for a week, and we weren't planning to maybe take a lower week mm-hmm. that week, but it becomes one because I know that combined with that life stress, like an athlete bought a house, really positive life stress, yeah. but it's a you know it's still stress, yeah. and so it doesn't make sense for them to go do a four hour long run. Yep. Like you've got to balance those puzzle pieces, and that's really hard as a coach. And that's where just like that, like I didn't have communication when I was super overtrained. I didn't have that line to my coaches, where we trusted each other, I think, and or that's the place we had gotten to, and I think that's what's what I try to foster with my athletes is to have that clear line of communication where I know they're going to tell me how they're actually feeling, and they trust me to make the right changes to their training, so that you know we we keep them from only crossing that line when we plan for them to cross that line.
0: But fundamentally, you're combining two variables. You're combining the workout variables, right? So how, how are they performing day to day? Yeah, And then you're combining the the, the the whole host of subjective feedback that they're giving you. Yeah. I'm tired, I'm sleeping, I feel great, I'm motivated, I'm yeah. buying a house and things like that. Yeah. You're combining those into like the ultimate Corinne Malcolm algorithm to say,
1: yeah. we're going
0: to push on the throttle. You like that, huh? Yeah, you're going to go trademark good. that after yeah. this. <laughs> you're, combi- you're combining those into some... Algorithm actually isn't a very good description of it because it varies. It, it, there's it, it's there's not, variation it's not, in it. There's yeah. a lot of
1: variation and therefore it wouldn't fit like an it's, algorithm it's not
0: a It's not a mathematical model, yeah. right? Which I, That's one of the issues that I have that's with a lot of... Right, that's one of the issues that I think all of us reasonable coaches have with... These stoplight systems that are intended to tell us if our athletes are stepping into some sort of overtraining state mm-hmm. is that it can't; those algorithms can't eloquently combine all of the subjective parts and all of the sociological parts and things like that. But ultimately, that's what you're doing: is you're taking training, and you're taking what the, the feedback that the athlete's giving which you, which is so important, which that's, is,
1: the, that's the most important metric in my mind,
0: which is huge, and you're fusing those into an answer that will tell you yes they can continue to train or no they can't. And that's a in in the challenges and for a lot of people listening that either coach themselves or even coaches out there that are listening and they're trying to find an answer. The problem with that is that isn't an answer. It's yeah. just a philosophy or strategy,
1: yeah. right, to look at it. And it's easy, I think it's Right, as we talked about earlier, like when you're oftentimes athletes who are non-functionally overreached are like, I'm just out of shape. I should train more. Mm -hmm. Like, right, how do you read that? How do you decide if that's a, you know, the stopping or backing off is the appropriate response? And I think there's an, you know, this ideal or this idea as well where you're, you know, especially if you're self-coached, I think primarily, like I I think it's one, like I have a coach because I need to like put my trust in someone else to like help guide me. Because then I'm not the one making the decision of saying, you know, do I not want to train today because it's rainy? Or do I not want to, like, what's my motivation to not train today type of deal? I think that's really hard to navigate on your own because we, I think it's really easy to pride yourself on like doing every workout and showing up every day. And I think those are positive attributes and they make really good, they make really talented athletes um, who generally meet, meet their goals. But that's also that same skill or attribute can be an athlete's you know downfall
0: but that's why you need both sides of the coin because if you do have an athlete that is constantly motivated and and is always going to tell you I'm good coach put me in yeah. you know there's nothing going on like I'm going to tough through it you need the it data off. to balance it off and and also on the other on the other side of that equation or the other side of the track since we're using a train analogy on the, on the other side of the tracks so are the athletes that you actually need to get the fire poker out you know you need to like motivate them along yeah,
1: less and carrot more stick yeah
0: exactly a little exactly more stick and and they're telling you oh, I can't do this I can't do this and you look back at the data and you say, yeah, you actually can, like you're, you're capable of this. You're better than you think you are. And you can do more than you think you can as, you know, Ken Clover would say. Um, so I, I, I completely concur with you that whenever you're evaluating an athlete and, and I don't want people to get the wrong picture. We're not always looking at training through the lens of, is the athlete, is the athlete in an overtrained state or not? That's not the sole lens to look through. It's how do we create better, stronger, faster athletes. Yeah. And
1: I mean, hopefully, ideally in a perfect coaching world, we don't have to worry potentially about our athlete being like, is this athlete ever trained or not? Because hopefully like the training yeah. is is periodized in such a way and you're like the data and the athlete's feedback and all this stuff is, is helping to steer this ship where it's not crossing a line over and over and over again. And that's that's hard to balance.
0: It's hard in trail running because the one side of the component, the data component is fuzzy.
1: The data is fuzzy on the trail just because of how you know what the train does yeah. to running, what the elements do to running. Yeah. It, it was really muddy, so all of a sudden, your yeah, you know, your easy pace goes way down. Yeah, and,
0: and so then you have to rely more on the subjective feedback part of it, and it's just that's a sociol. There's a sociological component of that, and it's just harder to tease that out.
1: Yeah, I would say as an individual, if you're like, am I overtrained or am I non-functionally overreached? It's 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 looking at the how many. How many days in your training journal have you said meh like that didn't feel great? <laughs> and if if that is a trend, if that is more than a couple days, if that's a week, if that's two weeks, that's when resting becomes like, oh, that's not I'm I'm you're probably not out of shape. That's the why don't why don't I try to take 2 or 3 days off and see how I feel after that? And if that doesn't work, maybe it's why don't I take a week off and mm-hmm. see how I feel after that? Am I hungry to train again? Do my legs feel okay? Is my heart rate normal? What are the other kind of factors? I think that's kind of the the next step for someone who's like on this train and they're not sure if they're at the final, you know, at the terminus of it, um, kind of trying to figure out where they are. I think that's one of the best ways to to go about doing it.
0: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to that a little bit, but what's the... What's the other side of that on the on the training component? Like you mentioned, okay, if there's a week of meh yeah. in their training log, that would be a flag for you to say, "Okay, we need to we need to deploy some rest here."
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What's the analogy to that or the analog to that on the training side of it?
1: I think if they're using heart rate, that's a really easy thing to look at, right? Because it's going to, you know, their heart rate's really elevated and they're feeling meh. Or they did a set, they did an interval set like we've talked about a bunch and their heart rate's way lower than normal or they're just like they're not hitting, you know the you've you've evaluated that the train is normal that they're running on they're running on the on the same track they always run on it's not muddy, mm-hmm. and the va- like they're moving you know just like much slower than they normally they normally are um, I think those that's how you look at it from a data perspective. What's much
0: slower? Is it ten percent? Is it fifteen percent? Is it forty percent?
1: I don't know. There's like a like a great answer for that, I think.
0: But here's where it gets. I'm gonna sorry, interrupt. Sorry to no, interrupt you. It, but here's here's where it gets interesting. If everything is going in an idealistic, picture perfect way throughout a training block, there should be a small amount of performance decline from when that training block started to the end. Because that that is a component of training is you have to induce fatigue. And so let's just say they're doing, just to keep everything simple, one mile repeats at six minute pace. Mm-hmm. They're doing one mile repeats at six minute pace on week one. Mm-hmm. Week two, they're doing one mile repeats at six oh two pace or six oh five pace or something like that. Yeah. Week three, they're doing one mile repeats at six ten pace or something like that, because there's there's this accumulated amount of fatigue. They yeah. certainly shouldn't be getting faster.
1: They've had a rest day or a recovery run, but they haven't had Exactly. They
0: should, they certainly shouldn't be getting faster because adaptations don't take that. They, they take longer than that to actually sink in. No
1: magic bullet. There's no
0: magic bullet, right? It's not one day to the next. It's weeks and weeks and weeks, but there is a tipping point of that performance decline that you don't want to see within a particular training block. And I think what a lot of athletes and coaches that are that, that even the coaches that are doing it right struggle with is how much of that performance decline is acceptable. Mm -hmm. So let's just say we've got this perfect pure situation. And I yep. think this helps contextualize it for trail runners. We have this perfect pure situation where we can track performance day to day. Yeah. What would that performance decline potentially look like that would be in the quote unquote acceptable range that would either produce a training effect or a functional overreach?
1: So given like that example, I think that decline's normal.
0: Ten seconds over Ten a seconds, sixteen over yeah. over
1: a six minute mile. Yeah. I think that's normal. I, I'd be much more concerned if all of a sudden they were working as hard as they possibly could and they were struggling to maintain a, a 630 or 645, right. right? Or they couldn't complete the workout. That's like a, oh, okay, we found we found the breaking point. And, and over
0: as, how many workouts? One workout?
1: Four well, workouts? Well, I think if you have a workout or two like that, that's when all of a sudden you're like, they need rest. They need, they need about a recovery at that point in time. I'd say it'd be irresponsible as a coach and maybe i don't know i don't want to call it like blind faith as an athlete but um you know we you're running with data i mean almost every single runner i know is running with a gps watch you'd have to be ignoring all of it to go out and do a workout like over and over again and or you know week after week after week or twice a week or whatever it is and keep missing it and not and like think that doing it again is going to make it better yeah you know? And so I think say over, you know, maybe they're doing a four-week block or a three-week block or a five-week block and some amount of decline is going to be normal. But I think if you all of a sudden have weeks in a row or workouts, num- of like a set of workouts in a row even, so that maybe they're doing that twice a week or something similar, yeah, twice a week. If they, you know, they had, they had a workout, didn't go great. Maybe there's some other factors involved. They've got a recovery run, like e- easy running the next day, and they come back out for another workout, you know, two days later, two or three days later, and they're once again missing stuff. Like that, like as a coach, that would be like yeah. a, okay, like let's like, we're going to ease, we're going to ease off the gas a little bit because I want decline, but I don't want them having a major decline over and over again.
0: I've kind of used this like 10% stick mm-hmm. as the, that that's the barrier. Meaning if I see like 5%, 4% from one week to the next, like I'm okay with that. Like yeah. okay. Yeah. You're you're just tired. Like yeah. we'll just, we'll just kind of keep working. But you get into like eight, 10%, certainly 12% or something like that. Then the the alarm bells start going off and we yeah. need to kind of recalibrate. And then you combine it with the areas of the training log, right? The subjective feedback that the athlete's giving you. I feel great. I feel tired, kind of whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That either adds fuel to like the data argument that you're making or could actually come into conflict with it.
1: Yeah, and I'm not I'm not saying that that person is like, "Oh no, they've crossed some right. major line, yeah. they are toast." They become toast by continuing to beat their head against the wall and do the same thing over and over again. Yep. But a good coach or a smart athlete, they see that and they say, "Okay, I'm going to take I'm going to only do one workout next week or I'm going to I'm I'm just I'm gonna like I'm going to give myself a couple more easy days in a row or I'm going to take two days off. Just because I, I need to freshen up a little mm-hmm. bit, I think that like you can make little changes like that, and that's part of the like that difference between like properly functionally overreaching, I think, and and going beyond that because to go beyond that means you're doing something chronically wrong, right?
0: Right, chronic, chronic being the key word there. Yeah. Um, I I, got, I have two points to that. One is I, I've since the training tools have gotten better to to just track training, the GPS watches are better, the power meters and cycling are better and things like that. I've actually found that I build out training like not as far into the future. So I I don't. don't. Yeah.
1: It probably drives my athletes crazy.
0: Yeah, we were talking about this on our continue the other day. Like I, I might only build out Two weeks.
1: That's the maximum. Know,
0: at the most. And that's just because you get that constant source of feedback and the feedback is relatively good. Yeah. That you can start to micro adjust. But the other thing that I'll point out in terms of is it is it appropriate to apply apply rest or do you want to keep the foot on the gas and continue to train? And I think everybody should be mindful to remember is is that your body can only handle so much stress over long periods of time, and long periods of time being three or four months. Mm-hmm. And so if you underdo it for whatever reason, right, let's just say that you knew you underdo it, you you know, two weeks hard, and you thought that that was the right time to apply rest, and you end up applying rest, and let's just say that was the wrong call. Mm-hmm. That just gives you the opportunity Two weeks down the line, three weeks down the line, four weeks down the line, to apply a little bit more stress, mm-hmm. and it all evens out as long as you're watching things correctly. So it's not like a lot of times, uh, what, what, in my opinion, what gets athletes into trouble and gets and coaches into trouble, they think that they have a finite amount of, of time to produce the improvements that they actually need to need to make. So they've got this prototypical four week block, and they need to jam everything that they can in that four week block. Well. You can only handle so much stress over long periods of time, and so if that four- week block ends up becoming three weeks, it just gives the opportunity several weeks down the line to maybe do a little bit more because your body will just recalibrate. yeah so it's not that rigid, I guess is what I'm
1: yeah, there's, there's the a lot of I'm flexibility in it, based on the athlete, based on the time available to them, based on whatever else is going on in their life. I think that there is no like perfect like, oh yes, you must do three big weeks and then a rest week, right or you must that's do- lazy coaching. Yeah, to have that repetitive pattern. Right. but I, And there are athletes who like, that's what they need. And we like, we're learning more about like women specific physiology and how like that's a whole nother yeah, thing right, when yeah, it yeah. comes to like yeah. period, like literally periodized yeah. period <laughs> yeah, training, training. I know I've been working oh, on it. it. But <laughs> I think that that is, you know, it's important to know that you can apply stress and apply rest in kind of a very, like in various ways and make positive adaptation and not go too far and not do too little.
0: Mhm. So, let's kind of bring it back to the functional piece. Okay. All right? We've got these More two functional. stops. Yeah. We're, so we've got the functional overreaching stop on the on the train tracks. The difference between that and the non-functional overreach part which you don't want to get into is essentially identifying some component of underperformance. And we'll tag that as a few days or a few workouts mm-hmm. of over 5% yeah. combined with all of the other workout variable or all of the other feedback variables of I'm tired, I'm not sleeping, I don't want to get on and run, I'm not motivated. The combination of those two things should tell an athlete or coach, let's stop and let's get off the train right here and apply rest and hopefully an overreach or a functional part of that overreach is what's going to be the outcome of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd, I'd agree with that statement. I think that that's kind of the goal is to apply. Like you can have some failure and still apply rest and have it be functional as opposed to like it being a waste. I think that's like the biggest concern for athletes, right? Is it like, did they waste their time training?
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like,
1: was it, was it wasted work? And it's not, if we, if you can catch it early enough, to bring them like to, to apply rest adequately, you like it still is functional training. It's when you get into a point where not only are your workouts falling off, but you like have all the other like all the other symptoms going on for an extended period of time that that's you you need a rest to save your season or to save your career or to save your exercise future, you know, your your running future or whatever it might be. And so it doesn't matter if that training was wasted or not, because we're just trying to get you back to baseline.
0: Right. Correct. Correct. Like, right. Looking at the spilled the, milk, looking yeah. at the spilled milk side of the equation, isn't going to do you any good at that point.
1: Yeah. And so I think that's like, that's a difference as well. When we look at the functional stuff, like it's a little bit of fatigue. It's, you know, sometimes we can push that even a little bit far, but it's different than like the, we need just to make you healthy again. Yeah. And that's kind of where that like that's where you're bridging the difference between functional and non-functional overreach. Yeah,
0: that's such a good point. We need to make you healthy again before you can think about being an athlete again. Yeah, 100%. Have you ever worked with an athlete that's been like truly at the end of the terminus of the route?
1: No, I have talked with a lot of athletes. Who it's really
0: hard to get there.
1: It, it is. Like I said, it's really hard. I like, I'm not to applaud it, but it's yeah, like, yeah. it's it takes a certain level of like, I don't know what it is, Well, you have
0: to royally fuck it up.
1: Yeah, you do. I will own up to both myself and like and coaches royally getting into that mess. Well,
0: I was talking to um Lindsay, Lindsay High or Lindsay Golich now, um over at the Olympic Training Center who runs their high altitude yep. and environmental yeah, I physiology remember. lab. Yeah. So so brilliant. So she sees the whole run of show of Olympians. Yeah. So people who you know, make their they make their living at the sport that they're doing across a wide variety of sports, from the endurance sports to the combat sports to the yeah. you, you you name it. And I asked her that very question. I was like, "How many athletes do you see every year that are truly overtraining?" She's like, "Maybe one. It's like, like maybe yeah, may, yeah may, maybe in an Olympic cycle two. So yeah. that's one every other year. And these are people that have all of the opportunity in the world. You would think." to overdo it. They have unlimited amount of time. They're at the very top of the genetic pyramid in terms of how much training volume and everything that they can handle. And still it's almost impossible for them to kind of like screw it up that, that much. So that, so that the cases of doing that are really rare.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, and I would say, oh, maybe we'd see it more commonly in people who are juggling more things. And I think there's some truth to right. that maybe, mm-hmm. but, um, that's actually sometimes I think what we've seen in a number of ultra endurance athletes is that they had a career and the career kind of kept them balanced in a way. maybe their career like maybe their career wasn't a stressful part of their life, but it limited how much they could train and or do other Correct. stuff it was kind of forced yeah. rest. And sometimes when those athletes step away from that other job to focus solely on their sport, We've seen probably some more like non functional overreach in okay. some of those athletes, um, maybe end of the end of the, you know, terminus, end of the train mm-hmm. type of stuff. Um, and that in part is because their job is applying force rest to them in a way. And as long, I think it's, I think that honestly, like the general population might be at more risk for having issues with this just because they, not to say that they're going to, right? Because it's not about training. Right. Training, like I think it'd be really easy to say, I work 30 to 40 hours a week at this other job. I can't physically overtrain. What's incorrect with that statement is that you're, you might even be at more risk in that sense, just because if you say you work at like your 40 hours of work a week is also really stressful and you've got a family and you've got other things to juggle. The training part isn't what pushes you into non-functional overreach. It's, that population who's gonna not balance the other stressors in their life and they're gonna cut sleep to get that extra long run, right, right? And they're gonna, you know, whatever it might be.
0: So it's over fatigue or over stress versus over train. Yeah. Which is a semantics. It's just that overtraining sounds sexy in the articles Yeah, people that get, get like excited like, about oh, it like, oh wow, you mean you can do too much? Running,
1: I did. I am so badass because I did too much too. exercise. Yeah, no, it's, it's more likely that I'm under recovered and that I don't have a good handle on how stressful the rest of my life is. Like, I think that's like more like, which is not a sexy title to you know, that chapter of someone's life.
0: Yeah, no, it's definitely not sexy and it's not gonna make the- It's not a
1: good book title, it's not.
0: But that's also what makes it confusing for people because they're looking at, so. back to, we brought this conversation now back full circle is they're thinking about this whole overtraining proposition strictly from the the very strict vocabulary sense and I, I am, the training that I'm applying is too much, the training specifically, not everything
1: else. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I've spoken to – I've gotten – since kind of going on some podcasts to talk about this and writing articles about it, I've gotten a lot of, like, cold emails and messages from people, you know, both sharing their experience, like, a couple of athletes. And Mm -hmm. generally, it was, like, high-level athletes where the coach was – I don't want to say the coach was lazy, but, like, the coach was, like, oblivious to – you know, it was kind of like my way or the highway style coaching. So high end rowers, high end skiers, high end runners, where the coach was oblivious to, to individual need. I've, i I've been approached by those athletes. Um, so, so
0: lack of individualization on the yeah, training,
1: lack program. of individualization, yeah. super stressful environment. Um, you know, you're trying to make an Olympic team type of situation. Yeah. I've also been approached by a number of just like really busy individuals who, you know their doctor says i think this might be overtraining syndrome and then i get to talk to them about like what is yeah. what is your job like what does your life actually look like like what what do you actually do what does a normal week look like for you like what have you actually been feeling and then i you know then i can say like okay we're going to try this like let's try this for the next 2 to 4 weeks and let's see how you feel after that and if that doesn't make you feel better like yeah maybe maybe you are like over, like you've at, you're at the end of the line and then it's like you know, this is a person who likes exercising, who likes training. It makes them feel good. Um, you know, the last thing you want to do is say, "Well, you know, you're you're looking at a like a, a true step away from from exercising more than like the ACSM. Like you're going to go walk your dog. A day, yeah, you're going go, to go walk your dog for thirty minutes every day or whatever it is. It's I think that that's really hard to digest for a number of reasons for people who are, who are like reaching that state. But it's it's been really interesting to talk to a number of different folks kind of about their their experience and, and why they are where they are and kind of help them navigate through that, like to the best of our ability.
0: So I, I'm going to highlight the key takeaway points yes. that we just discussed Do on I. our train journey. The last, we just, we honestly just came up with that analogy on the fly, but I kind of like it. We should I write like an it. article about it. We will. So the the I'll start with the last one first, which you just mentioned. Individualized training. Yeah. Huge component. The 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 more tailored the training can be towards an individual's strengths and weaknesses, tendencies, time of day, all of those Working things. Working with
1: their life, not against their life. Exactly.
0: Working with their life and not against their life. That is going to be a key element in avoiding any sort of non-functional, overreaching, or beyond?
1: Avoiding, yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. Okay,
0: that's the first thing. I stop um, myself we... from saying <laughs>
1: anything inappropriate. Okay,
0: <laughs> you could do that. We would always edit it out.
1: <laughs> it wasn't gonna add anything to the conversation. Okay. <laughs> All right,
0: uh, so that's the first thing, individualize your training. Second thing is, it's okay to get worse yeah. to a certain extent. And that certain extent is 5% for a few days, maybe 8% for a few days, Anything more than that, you need to start thinking Mm. about applying rest. Combined with, I'm grumpy, I'm not motivated, maybe my appetite's suppressed, maybe my heart rate is, you know, elevated at rest or during easy runs, easy rides, and things like that. Those two things are the kind of the first indicators that you need to apply some sort of rest.
1: Yeah.
0: And then the last thing is, is that overtraining syndrome is a bad way to describe this whole host of things that actually happens to athletes that screws them up. And that whole host of things can we could go on for forever with all of those are. But the point, the, the point that I always try to make is that it's not just training.
1: Yep. No, it's, it's everything else that's going on in an athlete's life. Everything. <laughs> period
0: period we'll, we'll, we'll put a pen in there corinne thanks That's that was awesome. fun <laughs> where um <laughs> where where can people learn more about the corinne malcolm train tracks
1: oh man um i write for i run far we do a uh, running on science column every month which are awesome um so i'm gonna be writing a lot of those. So you can find me there. <laughs> What's next? Um, I don't even know what we're writing next. I am writing next month. We're doing a factor fiction piece though, like, which is really cool because we're going to talk about myths and bust them. Oh, I love that style. Which is really, really exciting. I love that style. Um, and then we're kind of moving into probably some women's focused topics, which will be really, really cool. And Both the
0: women that are columnists for that are, are both of the women. women. Both <laughs> the writers that are columnists for that are women. And
1: our editor. Yeah. yeah so we're, we're a three-woman team. It's Awesome. Um myself, um Tracy Hogue, who's an MD PhD. So I'm like the very underqualified one in that group. And then Megan Um Hicks from Iron Fire is our editor, who's phenomenal. Um and then you can find me writing for um our train Right blog for CTS and the Training Peaks blog as well. Um and then I'm on all of the platforms just as Corinne Malcolm.
0: You're lucky because you have a relatively unique name and you don't have to convolute it.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's very easy to find me. <laughs> all
0: right, Corinne, thanks for being on. And it's just as we started the podcast, we're going to end the podcast with construction in Corinne's apartment. That's what everybody hears right now. Is there
1: a hot water <laughs> heater? I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, it worked out fine. Thank you, Corinne. That was awesome. awesome. We had a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. Holy cow, that was a hoot. Uh, I always love getting together with Corinne and uh, discussing anything about coaching and training, as you guys can tell. Uh, We had a lot of fun with it. Um, I I do think that athletes are well-served to understand this topic a whole lot better than we do right now because there's just a lot of confusion. And I think that the the main part of that confusion, as we discussed in the podcast, was just simply that we use bad vocabulary with this. And I'm not going to sit here and offer anything better because I think we're stuck with, with, with where we're at, but it is confusing that this thing that we call overtraining or overtraining syndrome in many cases, almost all cases has very, very little to do with the training itself being over too much, too much training, almost impossible to have too much training to cause all of these symptoms that, uh, Corinne and I went through during the actual podcast. Um, Thanks a lot to Corinne. Um, uh, Like I said earlier, I always love speaking to her about these types of things. She's a good support about it and we definitely did have a lot of fun with it. Thank you, Corinne. I've always appreciated your counsel and uh, your take on a lot of these topics. Thank you guys uh, for listening. I hope you got a lot out of it. As always, you can hit me up on social media. At Jason Coop is the Instagram handle. Also the Twitter handle. and you can go and uh, check me out at a lot of the races that um, uh, that are starting to come around this early or late winter, February, March, April. I'm probably going to be at Black Canyons in the uh, Coopcast Mobile Recording Studio. It's this big brown van that I just acquired that I'm just really stoked to really stoked to to take out and and kind of put it through the paces. Uh, so feel free to hit me up on social media or if you see me at a race, um, you know, grab my elbow, bend my ear a little bit. It. I'd love to chat with you about anything related to coaching, training, nutrition, whatever. I always love talking about it. Uh, thanks again, thanks again, you guys for listening, and I will see you out on the trails.